You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Brian Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. So today is um, kind of the last randomy day. we got to start turning our attention to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, maybe tomorrow's a randomy day, too. But anyways, uh, just kind of was combing through some of the questions. Uh, found an article that was pretty interesting and a couple of accompanying things just to kind of hone in our understanding of the Green Bay Packers. Because that's kind of what we do all day. We're Packer nerds, man. We just sit around and talk about the Packers. And then when we kind of know everything, we just look at it from a different angle. And we just look at it from a bunch of different angles. And we're like, hey, check this out. You see this? That's pretty cool. Hey, did you know that? No, I didn't either. You tell me stuff. I tell you stuff. It's kind of pathetic, isn't it? (laughs) We should get lives. That's all right. So I mentioned recently on Twitter that I'm one of those evil human beings that... um, listens to Christmas music in October, and I put that out there because I I broke yesterday. I try to hold out until November, because what I don't want to happen is by the time Christmas rolls around, it's like, dude, I'm so sick of Christmas music, which which can happen, and I'm playing a dangerous game starting this early, so I'm kind of trying to use it sparingly, but man, I tell you what, and I'll I'll tell you why I did it, and maybe it's different for me than it is for for other people. Sounds like some people just hate Christmas music. I I don't know. It's just get angry about it. Yesterday on the way into work, I was just beyond stressed. To give you an idea of how stressed out I am, I not only locked my keys in my car yesterday, I left the car running. And that's the second time I've done that. Just to give you an idea of how overwhelming stuff can be sometimes. Christmas music just makes all of it go away. For me, I don't know. It just does. And again, it's it's a dangerous game because you want to use that for actual Christmas time, right? That's that's part of what makes Christmas special. But you tune in a little bit and it's like, oh, Christmas. I don't have to care about anything. It's just you wake up early and it's like you know you know it's cold. Like there's a chill, but it's also like warm, you know? Maybe there's a fireplace, maybe there's not, but there might as well be. Like the Christmas tree is almost like a fireplace. It's just warm and comforting. There's like Christmas sounds, Christmas music, Christmas smells, Christmas presents. I'm actually upset about this whole fake Christmas tree thing, although I use fake Christmas trees because I'm lazy, but that was a big part of Christmas as a kid. Like, those things hurt bad. Remember how bad your fingers hurt? Maybe they still do when you, like, have to decorate the tree for a day, and it's exciting, and, like, mom busts out the crazy Christmas decorations that actually have, like, trains that go and, like, motorized. I don't know. They must have had batteries. I don't know. I don't remember ever replacing them. And by the time you're done, you got stuck with those needles so many times your fingers are, like, swollen. On top of stepping on the ones on the floor all the time. And the horrible job of, hey, can you go water the Christmas tree? Like, oh no. You gotta like army crawl on pine needles to go try to get your eyeball not stuck with a pine needle. I love Christmas, man. But anyways, part of the reason I bring it up is because I discovered another one that's not bad. For um, a little bit of de-stressing. And that's nostalgia in general. Aaron Rodgers has been talking about how he sticks to 90s music, and I think he's very particular about his 90s music, but I just found a 90s playlist. I hated 90% of the songs on this playlist in the 90s, but now it's like every one of these songs is awesome. It's a stupid song, 
It's not good. But it just, you know, as much as I hated being a kid, there wasn't a lot to worry about. Listening to Third Eye Blind's Semi-Charmed Life. Again, stupid song. And I wanted to skip it, but it's like, wait a minute. Suddenly I'm in like fifth grade. We just got the internet. Like, just got it. And by we, I mean grandma. Just got it. We didn't have it for a long time. The only thing I remember about the internet then was chat rooms. And Princess Diana died, and we all found out about it through the internet. It was amazing. I mean, horrible, but like, I remember it like popped up or something. I don't know where it was. It was like on the main AOL page. And we all like ran into the next room like, dude. And then semi-charmed life and uh, playing Sims and going to the roller rink. That was about, that was life in fifth grade back in like 97 or whatever. I don't know. It's just, it's just a tip. I'm just giving you a little bit of a tip. Things are stressful. Everybody's angry. I don't know how old you are, but if you're roughly my age, go listen to Semi-Charmed Life or uh, what else is on this stupid playlist? Other trash songs on here. That's the other cool thing. There was a big diversity of music in uh, the 90s. Some of it was awesome, like Soundgarden. Some of it was awesome in completely different ways, like the Cranberries, Zombie. That was a sweet song. Alice in Chains. You had Aerosmith. I don't know, man. It was, it was, it was some good stuff. If you're from a different era, find some different music. I don't know. But I'm just saying, if you're freaking out, you got Christmas music and you got nostalgia. Find the music from when you were, like, seven. Just aim for that rough range. Like when, you know, summer just meant go home, play video games, and then you had to go to the wall phone and call your buddy down the street to see if he wanted to play football out front yard for, like, eight minutes until you guys came inside, ate PB&J, and played video games. Because I'm feeling pretty good. Anyways, glad to have you. Short on news, so I need uh, fillers about uh, semi-charmed lives and whatnot. I'm kidding. I'm not short on time. Or news, or anything. Got lots of everything. Abundance. Abundance is what I have. Patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy is where you can support the podcast. You can jump in for as little as a buck a month. And if you're new here, you're probably wondering what the heck am I supporting. This is a Packers podcast. We're going to get to that in a minute. My timing sucks. Don't worry about it. I'm getting this out of the way so we can dive into everything else. There's other ways you can support. We've talked about it, but that would, you know, feel like that's the least intrusive. It's a buck a month. And as I've said before, if everybody listening just said, fine, I'll do it, a buck a month, boom. Immediately, I, I switch from begging the listeners mode to begging my wife, can I please quit my job mode. And that's better for everyone except my wife. So... It's not win-win-win, it's win-win-lose, but we're, we're headed in the right direction. So as of yesterday, we learned a couple things. Number one, um, the Buffalo Bills are also not invincible, and that's kind of the big thing. Like, I don't want to leave yesterday's game by saying, ha-ha, the Bills are also trash. They're not trash. We, we know we have, there's a lot of teams in the NFL that can beat the Packers. It's not about that. The difference between what we're seeing in 2020 and the Packers' ability and what we saw in in 2019 and the Packers' ability was there were some teams you look at and say, I just don't think we can beat them. Like, out of 10 times, I don't know if we ever beat the 49ers. And it's not even so much that they're so much better and we're so much worse. The 49ers will lose games and we'll win some really tough games. It's just, we're just not built to beat that team. 2020 is all about yeah, we, we could be, beat them. Like the, the Chiefs are not invincible, as we saw. The Ravens are not invincible. In fact, Lamar has not even had a good game in, in like three weeks. He's starting to look human. Pat Mahomes, there's a whole bunch of cracks in, in his game. I mean, everybody still elevates Lamar and, and, uh, and Mahomes because it's like, well, of course, obviously they're elite. Without actually looking at some people are just now starting to discover the numbers and they're like, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait a minute. 
Why is why is Pat Mahomes not on like any top ten list? Like any way you sort the data, I can't squeeze him into you know, probably top ten, but like I can't make him the number one quarterback no matter how you slice it. I can't make him top five. How is this possible? People are starting to acknowledge that. Still very good, still very dangerous, but it's not again, that's that's the point though. The Chiefs are a very good football team. Pat Mahomes is a very good, very dangerous quarterback. But the invincibility is gone. Like, the, I don't know how anybody can beat Baltimore. I don't know how anybody can beat the Chiefs. I don't know how anybody's going to beat the Saints. I don't know how anybody's going to beat the uh, the 49ers. And again, these, these teams lose occasionally, but they just seem like absolute Goliaths. There's just none of that this year. And I think a lot of teams look at the Packers the same way. Like, eh, we could beat them. Their defense is trash. You just run against them, you'll be fine. Fine, I don't really care what your perspective is. And I'm not even trying to say the Packers should be considered Goliaths. I think if you were to pick one, it'd probably be the Packers, but that's that's a whole separate point from what I'm trying to say. There just isn't that team. You watched the Buffalo Bills last night and just said, meh, I could beat them. I mean, not not I, like me, but, you know, speaking through the Packers, we could we could totally beat them. And again, it's a, it, I've talked about the Bills before. The, the biggest threat that they have is the deep ball. Tennessee just did a great job of taking that away, and all, suddenly they got to, like, kind of try to throw shorter passes and run the ball, and it just, the whole game got messed up, and it just didn't work. And the other thing you got to worry about with with uh, Buffalo is, especially with Stephon Diggs, I kind of wonder if there's a uh, Cam Newton, Carolina Panthers effect. And what I mean by that is, and I've, I've talked about this several times, I really believe a lot of what happened with Carolina Panthers when they nearly went undefeated that year and almost won the Super Bowl. Well, I shouldn't say almost, they got annihilated, but they got to the Super Bowl. A lot of that was Cam Newton being an extremely emotional quarterback. And when he's riding a high, everybody's real high, right? He's the leader of the team. And so everybody was just on this emotional wave way up high. And they were dominating everybody because they hadn't lost. They felt invincible. And so they played like they were invincible and it showed on, on the field. But as soon as they lost in that Super Bowl, I said, you know, because they had to go back and play the Denver Broncos in week one. And after that Super Bowl, Cam went into pouting mode. Right, he's storming off of press conferences, and suddenly this happy-go-lucky, like you know, whatever, on top of the world swag guy goes back into pouting mode, which is the reason I started disliking him to begin with. When he, as a rookie, would sit over with his head down with a towel over his head, like, dude, knock it off, just pouting all day long. And so my thought was, I think if they lose Week One again to the Broncos, they're done. And sure enough, they lost to the Broncos. Cam Newton went into pouting mode, and the team was garbage. I'm wondering about Buffalo a little bit now. It's just one loss. But once they realize they're not invincible, and I think that's going to happen for several teams, but especially Buffalo and especially Stephon Diggs, right? Oh, look, Stephon Diggs, he goes to another team and everything's fine. Yeah, they haven't lost yet. You think Stephon Diggs would have been mad if they were undefeated in Minnesota? No. He started throwing temper tantrums when they started losing, and then Kirk Cousins would start getting all upset, and Adam Thielen would get all upset, and they're all yelling at each other, and, and especially Stephon Diggs was, you know, the biggest psychopath of the group. He hasn't broke yet out in Buffalo because I think he still thinks that this is clearly a Super Bowl team and all that stuff, but we'll see. I could easily see a downward spiral, especially on a team that's identity as defense and the defense is not good this year. And we're basically just living off um, a quarterback that for two years has been god-awful, just launching the ball down the field to open receivers like Stephon Diggs. I, I mean, this is, you want to talk about a house of cards. This is one that could come crashing down pretty easily. Now, he's a pretty impressive guy as far as his scrambling. He's hard to bring down and all that stuff. But I can just see pretty quickly how it goes from not only are they not invincible, but I don't know that they're all that great. 
We'll see. Ultimately, if Josh Allen can keep playing at a high level, the team's not really going to slow down because that's what happens. There's, there's a there's a pretty hard floor when you have an elite quarterback. So that's the biggest question, right? It doesn't matter how little talent the Seahawks have, how how little talent the Chiefs might have. You know, it just it doesn't matter unless you're the Cowboys and you're Dak who's playing out of his mind. Then you can somehow still lose. But generally speaking, very good quarterbacks are going to set a pretty hard floor for you. But anyways, that. That's that's the big and, and really exciting thing about this year. And I haven't really felt this way since probably back in the 2011-2014 days, where it always just felt like the Packers are on top. They are the Goliath. Um, obviously, there's no guarantees in football. That's why I, I, I don't really... I'm not bothered by the you guys only won one Super Bowl thing. Because there's 32 teams. If you just pick a random card out of the deck, you're going to win once every 32 years on average. Right? If you're beating that average, you're doing pretty good. Yeah, but you've had Hall of Fame quarterbacks. A lot of teams have Hall of Fame quarterbacks, so what? There's a lot more that goes into things than winning Super Bowls. I think I said that wrong. I don't know. Again, brain is fried. See, I've, I've been saying that on this podcast for a long time. You didn't realize how serious I was until I told you I locked my keys in the car while it was running, did you? You thought I was just saying things like, oh, you just messed up and said your brain is fried. Ha <laughs> ha, it's not that fried. Yes, it is. Fried rice, $1.50. It's cheap. I make it at home. But it kind of feels that way. Even though I, I can't definitively say we are like heads and tails above everybody else. I, I, I think the Packers are probably the best team in football. But it's not by a massive margin. But again, the biggest, most exciting thing is there's no real barriers. It really feels like an even playing field. You got the Packers, you got the Seahawks, you got the Rams, you got Buffalo, you got the Chiefs, you got Baltimore, you got you know probably a couple others you can mix in that'll probably be there at the end. Maybe Minnesota figures it out and sneaks into the playoffs and kind of makes a run at this thing. I don't know. Maybe the Bears are legit. That's entirely possible. I don't know. I mean, they've got questions just like everybody's got questions, but they've also got talent in other areas. So the record so far would indicate they're legit. So I should probably start. I'm sitting here talking about maybe the Vikings and they've got like one win. The Bears have one loss this year and I don't even bring them up. Sorry, Bears fans. I forgot. You're you're good. You're, I, you're going to be in the playoffs. Don't worry about it. You're going to kill it. You're going to crush it, man. You guys are great. Super terrified of you. and Anyways. But yeah, it feels good. Because I And, and maybe I'm alone in that. Maybe you guys always thought the Packers are on top and they're, I'm not scared of the Chiefs or any of that stuff, but I was. I looked at it as sort of anything's possible. We might be able to win a Super Bowl, but clearly it's going to be kind of on a, you know, it's going to be a little bit fluky because <laughs> we're not the best team in football. Like the Chiefs, and I, I'm not going to go through the whole list again, but they just felt like they were on a different level, and that is not the case this year. So it's very exciting. Also, extremely exciting, as Aaron Rodgers reported on his Tuesday show, which I need to do a better job of, of sitting down and watching that and trying to get some clips off of it, because there is content gold, and I'm wasting not putting some of that on this podcast. But I haven't done that. I did not listen to the whole thing. I did listen to some clips. But one of the things that he had mentioned, and I'm losing my voice here, one of the things he talked about was, and it was a concern for me, and he said it in a way that was like, people that are concerned are stupid, so I guess I'm stupid, but clear concern that with a bye week, and I think this will be a problem for some teams, there's more temptation to go out and do stuff that you shouldn't be doing. Meaning there's a higher risk that there's going to be some positive COVID tests and it's just going to be a nightmare, right? We're sitting here looking at all these stupid Titans. We should ban them. We should do all these things. We should fire everybody and throw them in jail and belittle their children as they get off the school bus because I hate them. Whatever. I don't know. People get... <laughs> Anyways, it's, 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 it's a whole Twitter thing, man. But we, we, we kind of fail to think about the fact that it, it's entirely possible that happens to Green Bay. Like, it just starts flying through Green Bay, 
and one of our games has to get canceled or pushed back. And then it happens a second time, and everyone's like, well, take away their draft picks! And I'm certainly not going to be there signing off on that. You want to put your name down for uh, if they get COVID takeaway draft picks, that's fine. But I'm not signing on the dotted line. Uh, granted, of course, there's a whole big thing about people not following protocol. But still, some random rookie goes around to a party not wearing a mask. You know, you got three offensive linemen with no, no starting job. And those offensive linemen like to party. There's six-round picks. Probably two of them aren't going to be make it lasting on this team very long. I'm just saying. You guys want to go out and uh, hang out a little bit? or You never know. I don't know. I'm not trying to slander the guys. I'm just saying it's it's not impossible. And um, whatever punishments come down on other teams, fine. But if it happens to the Packers, all I'm saying is I hope it gets swept under the rug. That's all I'm saying. I mean, real stern with the people that did it. But no negative repercussions for us in the draft or any of that kind of stuff. Because that's not acceptable. But uh, they made it. They made it through. They all have been getting tested the whole time. There have been zero positive tests for the Packers, so big round of the a round of applause. Um, Wisconsin is going through a hard time with COVID right now, so this would be an increasingly increasingly high risk time to be irresponsible. So, kudos to Rogers and the crew for simply sitting around and you know doing push-ups, playing video games, eating pizza, whatever it is you do during the bye week. Good on you. Oh, but anyways. <laughs> The other thing we learned outside of the Buffalo Bills is that uh, Josiah DeGuara has officially been placed on IR. Uh, Center Jake Hansen has been uh, put on the practice squad injured reserve. That leaves 50 players on the roster. Presumably, Kamal Martin and Equinemius St. Brown will be added this week. We don't know. They're both still technically on IR, but again, they are practicing, which I didn't really even know you could do that, but cool. But anyways, I, I wanted to kind of piggyback off the whole Equinemius and uh, Kamal Martin and all that stuff with a Patreon question that, uh, as I've done in the past, I'm not really going to answer, but I am going to kind of use as a springboard. The question is as follows, and I didn't write his name, I apologize, but here we go. He says, interested to hear your thoughts about the bye week and what the priorities for the Packers should be. That's the question I'm not going to answer. Then he gives his three. Number one, get Malik Taylor as many practice reps in the Lazard role as possible. He looks to have all the physical attributes to be effective. There just needs to earn the trust. I know what you're trying to say. Number two, get A.J. Dillon installed at the back for short yardage goal line situation. Kind of iffy on that. I get it because he's huge, but Aaron Jones is very good at goal line, and I think we're underestimating A.J. Dillon's ability between the 20s. But in general, more A.J. Dillon, I'm good with it. Number three, work on stopping the run defense, getting outflanked on the edges. Yeah. But here's sort of the general reason that I'm glad you asked the question. What's exciting about all this is a lot has happened in the first quarter of the season, right? Broke down into four quarters, essentially. Four games, four quarters, 16 games. I mentioned, um, you know, pretty much every day at this point how we've won every one of our games differently so far this year. I've also talked about how Matt LaFleur is still slowly unraveling his playbook. I kind of alluded to this, I think, yesterday, but but it didn't really click to what degree the bye week is going to help. I remember I heard a clip about uh, on uh, Nagler's show or whatever. They were talking about getting A.J. Dillon more involved, talking to Matt LaFleur, and he's basically just said, well, yeah, I mean, he's next man up. Now, maybe that's just coach speaking. It's like, yeah, 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 we got a plan, shut up. Maybe. But I, I just get the impression they really want to get a lot more people involved. But again, at the beginning of the season, we're just trying to win and we really want to lean on the guys we trust. I think they've had 
barely enough, but enough to kind of evaluate A.J. Dillon. They've clearly had enough to look at these tight ends, whether that be Jace and or, as I mentioned, massive look at Robert Tanyan and how beneficial he could be in the system. And when you're going from week to week to week to week, especially with injuries, you got a real quick on the fly, like we're not sure if, if Devontae's going to play, we're not sure if Kenny's going to play, we got to work on game plans, we got to do practices, We I got to try to write up a game plan as quickly as possible without the guys that, you know, without Devontae, because maybe he doesn't play. The bye week is a great time to just stop and reset and reevaluate. How do we rewrite, not just a game plan for Tampa, but how do we kind of reconfigure our playbook a little bit? And I don't mean necessarily change it, but again, kind of continue to unravel it. Whereas the playbook before was not very centered on tight ends and was more wide receiver running back centric, we can now start to look at the, you know, go to the Matt LaFleur vault and start pulling out some of these tight end plays. As you mentioned, get get Malik Taylor more involved. I think that's entirely possible. At least look to the future of what kind of things should we start doing to increase the role of other people that can genuinely be a massive benefit to this team because if the Robert Tanyan thing taught us anything it's that we've got talent that's un that's that's covered up we've got talent that's just waiting to burst free as of right now AJ Dillon is one of the highest graded offensive players on this team again extremely small sample size so it doesn't mean anything but it's hard to say that we know that he's not the guy and again I'm not talking about shutting down Aaron Jones or Jamal Williams. I'm talking about how do we make sure that we're not covering up a real talented football player like we kind of were with Robert Tanyan. How can we start to feed these guys and make sure that they're getting focused? Because at the end of the day, what we want is a more dominant football team. And by adding in a guy like Robert Tanyan to the Devontae Adams mix, it just adds another layer. And to have Aaron Jones and Jamal and Tanyan and Devontae Unfortunately, not Lazard, because that would really be the cherry on top. But to have all that, not only is it cool because it's just a number of people that can attack you, but they're all completely different people in different positions that do different things. And as I've said several times, the difficulty the Packers have had in the past is when you have one weapon that does one thing, like Devontae, you've got a runner in Aaron Jones, who as much as he was lauded as a great receiver, he he really developed that over time. I don't think he was as elite as he got credit for early on. He caught some decent passes, but, you know, this has been something that he's developed. Even Jamal, who's always somewhat excelled at it, he always kind of looked clunky to me. There's nothing clunky about either of these guys. These guys are making wide receiver type catches and running wide receiver type routes out of the backfield. And so we've got two running backs that can run, or at least one. Uh, Jamal's a very good blocker. Both of them are very good receivers. You got Tanyan, who is a tight end, who can, you know, obviously block and be a receiver. And then you got Devontae, who can just destroy everyone. So the old days of just shut Devontae down and we shut everything down, so long as Aaron Jones doesn't completely take the game over, but, you know, if we, if we can mitigate him at least a little bit and take Devontae away, they're not going to win. And that was generally true. That's not the case anymore. Matt LaFleur and his scheme has made it that you can't just take guys away. This isn't just the old Mike McCarthy, I trust you to get open days. This is, we're going to put you in a position where you physically cannot cover all these guys. We've seen over and over again where you have, for example, a linebacker that has to choose between the guy that's running behind him and the guy that's running in front of him. And he's really the only guy that's going to make a play. And um, either he picks and Aaron Rodgers goes to the other guy, or he just kind of flounders in the middle and Aaron Rodgers just picks either of the two because they're both pretty much open. It's not a matter, I mean, it's a matter of some of these plays, you're beat before the snap. Because based on the alignment, based on just the numbers, 
and that's for having an intelligent quarterback and, by the way, receivers and everybody else, because they need to understand the situation as well. If they all see the picture, they're all looking at it together saying, you can't win. Unless you get a pass rusher to fire off the edge and sack Rodgers in about two seconds, you cannot win this. You're just outnumbered. It's, it's a simple numbers game, and there's too many of us for you to cover all of us. And so again, the, the real exciting thing, as you said, you know, regardless of what it is, whether it's let's try to get Malik Taylor up to speed, whether it's how can we get Equinemius involved, whether it's how can we be more uh, Tanyan-centric, whether it's let's get more A.J. Dillon, let, you know, what, what are, what's one more thing we can add on to his plate to try to get him more involved? Whatever it is, the real benefit is we, we've basically got, most likely, we're about to see the Aaron Rodgers, Matt LaFleur, Packers offense 2.0 coming out of the bye. Now, again, there's no guarantee we win the game, but the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are in a real bad spot. This is a red-hot offense. And there was another question I saw from somebody saying, what, you know, what, what are the concerns about them coming out flat? It's always a concern, but the Packers don't seem to be operating that way. This is a team that's extremely focused. They came out week one ready to play. And that's part of the, the benefit of, and granted, they only had one year to prepare prior to this. But there's no floundering. They, they, there are a certain number of guys, and again, this goes back to why do you just lean on these guys and not those guys, because it comes down to trust. When you don't have practice or any of that stuff, any teams with new coaches, new players, new quarterbacks, whatever, severe disadvantage. The Packers realize that the way you're going to win early is you get the guys that fully understand what it is we need to go, go, do out and, go out and do to win, and we need to, to really press that. And they did. But you look at the focus of the team coming out red hot. They're obviously doing their homework. I mean, the fact that Matt LaFleur could get into to basically 2.0 in 2020, brand new offense, and, and most of the core guys, if not all the core guys, are right, right on, on, they're in sync. I'm fading fast here. There, there was nobody that wasn't in their book. Right, Matt LaFleur basically told them in the offseason, look, this is what we're running in 2020. You better be up to speed. And they had a couple weeks to practice, make sure everybody's up to speed. If you're not up to speed, which is the new guys, A.J. Dillon, blah, 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 then, you know. And to be honest, that may have something to do with why we're seeing Billy Turner and, um, you know, Lucas Patrick as opposed to Mr. Ricky Wagner. I mean, again, they've had similar snaps, but it, it may just come down to an understanding of what it is specifically you need to do around here. Billy Turner gets it. Rick Wagner needs to be coached up a little bit. Maybe. I don't know. But again, you go into the bye. Guys are focused. They're not going out doing dumb stuff. They're keeping their eye on the ball. This very clearly seems to be, and I know it seems like a throwaway because, of course, everybody's focused on the Super Bowl. But, you know, even in 2019, you can't tell me they weren't taking their eye off the ball. There were accusations from within the organization that guys are going out doing things they don't shouldn't be doing. Every time they went to California, mysteriously, guys didn't show up. And again, you, you heard Aaron Rodgers say things like, you know, guys are uh, not doing what they need to do when they get out here. In other words, they're going out and partying. And they even changed their schedule so that they left a day later, which goes against what you want to do to make sure you're pre- prepared. But Matt LaFleur was protecting the team from themselves because they were making bad decisions. So you can't really give me that, well, every team's focused on winning a Super Bowl. No, not really. Everybody wants to win a Super Bowl, but that's a different question. Of course, everybody wants to win a Super Bowl. I want to win a Super Bowl. I think it'd be cool. Yeah, it'd be be fun. It has nothing to do with putting in the work, being singularly focused, as opposed to, ah, I could probably go out and do all this and get away with it and we can still win a Super Bowl. Of course, I still want to win, but I also want all these other things. Singular focus means that's the only thing I care about. That's the only thing I do is prepare and make sure that I'm going to win. 
and I'm sure there are some people that are, you know, not exactly singularly focused, but they're focused enough that it hasn't been a problem, and, and, it, and it shows on the field. Maybe not quite as much on defense, but I don't expect them to come out flat. It's possible, but I, I really think that things are working, and I expect them to work even better. I think Matt LaFleur has the ability and the opportunity to kind of retool his, his, um, his playbook a little bit, to, to refine it and make it better, based on what he saw the first four games. Um, so that's, that's fantastic stuff. Uh, why don't we take a break and uh, launch into a few other things. So I've got a bunch of uh, Iron Jaw hoodies to send out. We do have a winner for the um, picture submissions and all that, so I'll reach out to that person today. And as I mentioned, we had two winners yesterday, so i got to get those shipped out. And I just did inventory of how many I have. There's still a bunch here. And I am, again, extremely excited to get these sent out to everyone. But for those that are tired of waiting, might I suggest you just go poke around at ironjock.com. That's I-R-O-N-J-O-C.com. They are a Wisconsin-based company out of Oconomowoc, I believe. They just recently launched. Um, I know they're doing some business with Ron Dane. It's, it's, uh, it's a real exciting company. But again, outside of supporting, for those of you in Wisconsin, a local company, which is always fun to do, especially a newer, younger, you guys know about supporting people's dreams and whatnot, right? On top of all that, this really is high-quality stuff. I mean, just trying to break into the industry, starting just a general clothing company, it's, it's not really going to fly. There's so many companies. you got to do something else. And so going for real high-end and high-tech kind of stuff, is, is it makes a lot of sense. And that's what this is. It's high-end clothing extremely comfortable. Again, every single piece of of clothing that they have is wicking, fast-drying, breathable, anti-static, and odor-eliminating. Which, by the way, for those that don't know, and I uh, maybe googled it, don't worry about it, moisture-wicking fabrics are fabrics that have the ability to pull moisture away from the skin using tiny built-in capillaries. Moisture is drawn to the exterior of the fabric, which makes it easier to evaporate. So, sweating, right? You get all sweaty. It actually pulls that off of you, pulls it to the front of the fabric, evaporates that away, keeping you dry, which again um, activates the silver ion which is infused into the fabric. So as the moisture is pulled away from you, the fungus and bacteria is slaughtered by silver ion, keeping you dry and uh, smelling fresh. And again, if you get their long pants, shorts, hoodies, and running jackets, they also are uh, water repellent. So it is a very high-end company. And again, although I can't speak personally to anything other than the hoodies, I can tell you these hoodies are phenomenal. And I have to assume the same quality and care goes into all their other products. So please go over to IronJock, I-R-O-N-J-O-C.com. Follow them on Facebook or on Twitter, at IronJock. Hey, U.S. Cellular customers, I've got good news, so don't hit skip forward just yet. I'm talking about their special customer event, Us Days. What's Us Days? It means exclusive offers just for their customers, just to say thanks, like up to $1,200 to upgrade to any new phone. No, I didn't just misread that. That's up to $1,200 off. They must really like you. Us Days at U.S. Cellular. Exclusive offers just for you, just to say thanks. Right now, U.S. Cellular customers get up to $1,200 to upgrade to any new phone. Terms apply. So I want to talk again, um, and I'm, I'm not... I promise I'm not picking anyone. We had more conversations, very good conversations. But just to kind of solidify, because he said he went back and did a little bit of research on some of these other picks and found out that a lot of the first-round picks are not all that great. PFF actually released this, so uh, I can give these grades and not have to feel guilty about it, which is always nice. But they have an article called Grading All 32 First-Round Picks After Week 5 Buy of 2020 NFL Season. And again, here's the thing that I want to kind of highlight as we go through this list. 
the real concern, and I think the best objection, if there was an objection to Jordan Love, is it would have been real nice to actually get somebody that could have helped us win a Super, win a Super Bowl this year. Here's the question I would ask, though. Let's go back to 2019. Pick any rookie that would have helped us beat the 49ers. Is there a single rookie on planet Earth that either in 2019 or 2020 would have meant if we had that person, we would have beaten the 49ers? There's not one. Because winning and losing a Super Bowl doesn't come to, down to a rookie. I mean, just saying that out loud feels ridiculous, doesn't it? How, name one Super Bowl ever in your life that you can say they won that because of that rookie they drafted that year. Never, ever in the history of football has that been said, unless, of course, we're talking about a rookie quarterback, but I don't think, has a rookie quarterback ever won a Super Bowl? And that wouldn't apply to us. So not only are rookies generally pretty bad, and although they can maybe assist a little bit at helping you, you're only getting a tiny nudge. That The idea that that's going to make the difference between what happened in 2019 and winning a Super Bowl, it's kind of silly. Again, drafting is about the future, whether you like it or not. Not that they can't help you in the now, although most of them won't. The fact of the matter is, most of them are not going to help all that much. So here we go. Joe Burrow. And again, PFF grading scale, 60 is, is pretty average, which, you know, sounds nice, but it's, it's not good. 70 is good, not great. 80 is, is good. It's very good. 90 is elite. So far, so far, Joe Burrow, very impressively, is a 73. That's impressive because he has a terrible offensive line and just a suspect team in general. So the fact that he's been able to muster a 73 is, is quite impressive. Chase Young, elite edge rusher, second overall pick is a 72 overall. That kind of sucks. Number three overall pick, Jeff Okuda for the Detroit Lions, right? Elite lockdown cornerback. Freak. Can't miss prospect. If we were picking that three, we would have got this guy and we'd be unstoppable right now. 29.3 overall grade. Now, keep in mind, this has nothing to do with whether or not they're going to be a good football player in the future. And that's kind of the point. It's year one. Jeff Okuda right now is one of the worst cornerbacks in football. Andrew Thomas, number four overall for the New York Giants. 57 overall grade. He's, he's probably the worst offensive lineman they have. Fourth overall pick. Quarterback Tua Tungovailoa has not taken a single snap. Not one. He hasn't been able to take the job from Ryan Fitzpatrick. Now, I'm, that doesn't even mean Tua is bad. You know, there's you got to get him coached up and all that kind of stuff. You don't want to rush him into it and ruin him. You got him, again, it's about the future, and you know you're not winning a Super Bowl this year anyways, so why rush him back? But again, that's kind of the point. If they believe they could just plug in Tua and win a Super Bowl, they would do it. But they know one rookie, even at a top-tier quarterback rookie, is not going to make that big of a difference. They got way too many holes. If this was a dominant team in need of just a quarterback, fine. But dominant teams don't pick top five quarterbacks because they wouldn't be top five if they were a dominant team. Justin Herbert, freak of all the universe, 69 overall grade. Just below good. Derek Brown, freak interior defensive lineman, right? Run defense monster. Also provides a good amount of pass rush. I really like Derek Brown. He goes to the Carolina Panthers. His grade is a 48. So 50s would be below average. 40s are bad. He is a bad football player. Isaiah Simmons, first-round pick linebacker, absolute freak. Not only is he a great linebacker, he'd be a great safety. He'd be great in every kind of position you could possibly imagine. 38.2. So anytime you get down below four, th- uh, yeah, 40s, I just start calling people trash. Isaiah Simmons so far, number eight overall pick, linebacker, prototypical 2020 linebacker mold, hot garbage. Cornerback C.J. Henderson out of Jacksonville, 63.1, which means a lot. 
not only because he's an average football play, player, but in week one, I think he was like the highest graded football player in all of football. So the fact that he's fallen to an average of 63 means he's been pretty terrible the last couple grades. It's hard to play four games and be a 63 overall when your first game, game is like a 90. Jedrick Wills, rounding out the top 10. Offensive tackle for the Cleveland Browns is the only offensive lineman for the Cleveland Browns that isn't awesome. He's a 61.8 overall grade. Mekhi Becton for the New York Jets. Pretty good offensive tackle, but he's only a 72. He's not in the 90s. And again, every reason to believe he will be in the future. He fits the mold of being an absolute freak. It's why you take a guy top 10, but right now, 70s. Low 70s at that. Decent, not, not super great. Nowhere near the David Bakhtiari range. Henry Ruggs for the Raiders. Right, man, oh man, if we only had Henry Ruggs, 65 overall grade. Tristan Wirfs, 71 overall grade. Good, not great. Javon Kinlaw. People are obsessed with Javon Kinlaw. He's an absolute freak, 61 overall grade. Jerry Judy, best receiver we've seen in a decade, 68 overall grade. A.J. Terrell, cornerback for the Falcons, 59. He's below average. C.D. Lamb, elite freak, whatever, 73 overall grade. Right, the next DeAndre Hopkins, okay, 70. Maybe next year he will be. Maybe even this year he'll end the year that way. But so far, good, not great. I think he's maybe the second best receiver on the team, and and it's a pretty big gap between number one and number two. Amari is way above him. Austin Jackson, the next offensive tackle. A lot of people liked him for the Packers. Going to the Miami Dolphins, 49 overall grade. Damon Arnett, cornerback for the Raiders, 58 overall grade. Uh, Kalevon Chason, edge rusher for the Jaguars, 53 overall grade. Jalen Rager, guy that I really like, 54 overall grade. Then you get to Justin Jefferson, who's basically the only rookie in the first round that's doing anything, 84 overall grade. So again, a lot of, and this is this is part of the problem with people that, that are, and I, I some people maybe are being dishonest. I just think it's a lot of people that aren't really digging in. And the problem is there are people that just want to prove a point that don't actually want to know information. And, and you got to stop that. Don't be that person. Maybe you're not, but if, if you're doing this, you got to stop. If you want to actually genuinely make a point, you have to do your homework a little bit. Simply seeing that Justin Jefferson is dominant and saying, see, we should have got a wide receiver. The problem with that entire argument, outside of the fact that Jefferson was gone before we, we were up or whatever... But it's just assuming that because Justin Jefferson is good, it proves that first-round rookies are good. And if we would have drafted a wide receiver, we could have had somebody like Jefferson. No. No. Not true. The number 22 overall pick by the Minnesota Vikings is better than anybody in the top 21 so far. And I mean so far. We'll see what happens. We don't know if Justin Jefferson will continue to be good, just like we don't know if Isaiah Simmons will continue to be terrible. Then you got Kenneth Murray, right? A lot of people real excited about Kenneth Murray, the linebacker. I liked him. I liked him probably a little bit more than Patrick Queen because he's got a little bit more thump to him. And I just need a linebacker that does that. 46 overall grade. He's bad. Cesar Ruiz for the Saints is bad, right? Highest interior offensive lineman. He's bad. Brandon Ayuk for the 49ers. He had like one real good game. Everybody freaked out again. Whenever you get highlights of one guy that does one thing, everyone, oh, see, 69 overall grade. Average. Jordan Love, not playing. Again, same situation. If he was playing today, what would he be? He'd be bad just like 90% of these guys. Or 60%, let's say. It's a good amount of 70s here. He'd probably be bad. And that would be par for what we've been seeing. Because most of these guys, even first-round rookies, are bad. The question is, what's he going to be in two, three years? That's the question for everybody here, because you draft for the future. You assume route... or. First year is not going to be the best year. 
The question is, what are we getting in the future for our franchise when we draft this person? And getting mad at a team for drafting a quarterback, which is the most critically important thing for a team, especially when you've got a new GM, new head coach, and you want to kind of groom this guy up, and you know you got a quarterback that's, you know, at, at most got four years. I guess there's a slight chance he plays four years and gets an extension, but it, it's it's very unlikely, even considering how high of a level he's playing right now. I mean, the body can only do so much. It's a waiting game, not just for the Packers, but for everybody. That's a larger point that gets lost. People keep making the point, well, it's about the future for the Packers. No, it's about the future for everybody. It's about the future for Seattle, too, who picked Jordan Brooks, who I wouldn't have taken with a third-round pick. But again, that's their favorite thing to do, is take somebody that's not a good value in the first round, in the first round, 41 overall grade. He, by the way, is better than Patrick Queen, 39 overall grade. Patrick Queen is in the garbage category with the other first-round linebackers. All the first-round linebackers, as I've said, not good. Maybe some of them will become good. Obviously, there's talent. And again, with Patrick Queen or any of these other linebackers, what a lot of people like to do, they highlight the the positive. They show you that on Twitter, and then everybody freaks out and says, See, we should have got Patrick Queen. Not realizing that Patrick Queen has given up more yards through the air than almost any linebacker in all of football. He's getting carved up. He's specifically being targeted through the air. Which, by the way, there is a... uh, couple different quotes from our upcoming opponents. One of them is Jason Pierre-Paul, who tried to pretend he doesn't know who David Bakhtiari is because he's, you know, whatever. He's going to get just absolutely annihilated for being a punk. Um, but the other is Mr. Devin White, who is another failed first-round linebacker that nobody acknowledges is a failed first-round linebacker. Same with Roquan. They want to say that he's elite, not realizing he's really not. Um, he is also right there with Patrick Queen. He and... Uh, Devin White and Patrick Queen are, I think, both in the top five of giving up the most yardage of anybody. He has decided that he has asked, he wanted to ask his coach if he can get a larger role. Now, he's a pretty good pass rusher, but that's about it. If he wants an expanded role, as I said on Twitter, Aaron Rodgers 100% will sign off on that because he's one of the worst coverage linebackers in football. Aaron Rodgers will specifically target that guy all day long, happily. And I know a lot of people right now are just cringing, like, you're out of your mind, that's not true. It is true. You don't believe it because you remember in the draft what you heard about them. You remember hearing how freakishly athletic they were, their first-round picks for a reason. Not only are they really good against the run, but they're so fast, that sideline to sideline, that coverage, ooh-wee, there's no way. Pack Daddy's out of his mind. Everybody in the media is telling me that they're elite, they're freaks. Okay, most yardage given up by linebackers in order. 304 yards given up by Kaiser White for the Chargers. Then Bobby Okereke, Indy. Then Corey Littleton, the guy that we all needed desperately, right? He's really good in coverage and all that stuff. Corey Littleton. He's given up 271 yards. He's been terrible, 32 overall grade, 36 coverage grade, 34 run defense grade, 36 tackling grade. Basically horrific across the board. Then Nathan Jerry for Philadelphia. Then Patrick Queen out of Baltimore has given up 260, where is it, 264 yards as well as a touchdown, no interceptions, no pass breakups. Then you've got Devin White, 251 yards given up, 153 yards after the catch, given up one touchdown. He does have one pass breakup. Congratulations. Corey Littleton, by the way, is is, in, is tied for second place for most missed tackles this season, so might as well throw that out there. And, and part of the reason I, I say that is because the I'm mad at Brian Gutekunst crowd don't ever want to own up to the stuff they were wrong about. We should have got Patrick Queen. What happens when he's trash? Well, they just disappear. Why not stand up and say, you know what? No, I'm trash. I'm a moron. I should just shut up and watch football because I don't know what I'm talking about. 
Gutekunst is trash. He should have got Corey Littleton. Then Corey Littleton is terrible. And guess what? Everybody just disappears. Where did they go? Hey, where are you, where are you going, man? Hey, come here a second. I want to I talk to you about Corey. You, you, leave, you got to go? You got an important meeting? Okay, bud. At some point, you look at things and say, you know what? I'm bad at this. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm talking about. And again, I want to hammer these points because during free agency, I look at Corey Littleton and I go, yeah, he's been pretty good in coverage. I think that's overstated a bit. He has been fairly good. I'm not entirely opposed to it, but I definitely think it's overblown. But people lose their mind. We got to get him. We got to get him. And when, when the Raiders got him, immediately, Gutekunst is a moron. We should have got that, 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 Patrick Queen and Corey Littleton are just sitting at the bottom of this list, two of the most coveted guys. And again, I w- I'm fine with, I was fine with Corey Littleton and Patrick Queen. But you got to go into that with a little bit of, I kind of don't know what I'm talking about, and I trust Goot to have a better opinion than me. And when he doesn't do what you want him to do, and you go into a tirade about how he's an idiot, he should have listened to me, and you were wrong, just own up to it. I wanted Devin White. Excuse me, Patrick Queen. Now, granted, I was terrified because, as I've said before, first-round linebackers are always trash. But at that point in the draft, looking at the board, it was like, you know, I I would be okay with that pick. And again, 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 he might be a great linebacker. But so far, he's horrible. So the bottom line is we just got to get into this frame of mind of the draft is about building for the future. Everybody hates the Packers draft because Jordan Love is about the future. A.J. Dillon is about the future. I mean, Josiah DeGuara is about the future. All three offensive linemen about the, are about the future. Kamal Martin might be the only guy that, that could possibly step up this year, but I don't even know if he is. I don't know that you look at a fifth-round linebacker and say, especially with COVID and all this other stuff, yep, I expect you to be the guy. But the, the point is, it's not just the Packers draft was about the future. The Cardinals draft was about the future. The Bears draft was about the future. Everybody's draft was about the future. Any impact in 2020 is a bonus. And I could, if I had time and I was planning on it, I, I could further elaborate on this by looking at other elite players and how they, you know, Aaron Rodgers. No, he had a good first year. I'm not talking about first year. I'm talking about rookie year. You know what his grade was in his rookie year? Because that's what we're talking about with Jordan Love, right? We're not talking about what happens after he sits for a while because we're mad about him sitting. We're talking about he's not good now. He looked bad in in camp this year. His first grade before he was a starter was in 2006. He took 36 snaps, 21 passing attempts. His overall grade was a 30.3. Now listen, some guys do start off real hot, right? Some quarterbacks start off good from day one. Some running backs, wide receivers, etc., etc., but not everybody. First time he took the field, he was horrible. 6 of 15 for 46 yards. 3.1 yards per attempt, 6 of 15, 40% completion percentage, 46 total yards, 3.1 yards per attempt. That is terrible. That was Aaron Rodgers' first showing for the Green Bay Packers. That was our first look at this guy, and and we sit back and we mock everybody that, that, oh, the only place Aaron Rodgers is going to take you to to the toilet bowl, right? That guy, never going to live that down. But this is what he was looking at. And, and by the way, you're being that guy. When you start talking about, well, where's A.J. Dillon? Where's Rashawn? Where's Jordan Love? Where's these guys? Why aren't they better? Why aren't they elite? Why da 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 Don't be that guy. Wait and see. The general consensus from the NFL community is it takes three years to properly evaluate a draft pick. 
you cannot evaluate A.J. Dillon in year one. In, you know, three games of year one. Or Jordan Love, or Kamal Martin, or Josiah DeGuara. We can't evaluate Darnell Savage. We can't evaluate Rashawn. We, we, we don't know what we have in a large portion of this team. Just wait. And the point is, this is this is one of those things that builds up when you draft well. Over time, it all starts to pay off because guys start hitting. You have some guys, maybe one out of a draft class hits, right? And and that's lucky. And it's like, well, you can't build a team on that. Yeah, but there's year two guys that are hitting. And then there's some year three guys that are also starting to hit in year three. So it just it becomes a snowball effect where you just get more and more and more talent, not just from this draft class or free agents, but you've also got guys that are starting to figure it out and the guys that don't leave. But it's a build-up process over years of drafting well. And it's the same effect when you start drafting poorly. It's a slow bleed. Right? You can you can have a top-tier team, and that first year you have a terrible draft, you don't feel it at all. Because you've got a stacked team that doesn't need any help. The point is, after two, three, four years, some of these guys start going bye-bye. The contracts start going out, guys retire, whatever, get traded. And it's a matter of, okay, now we need somebody to step up. Who's ready? Any, any, any rookies want to step up? No, we're trash. Okay, how about you second-year guys? You, you've taken a leap, anybody? No, 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 it doesn't look like it's happening. All right, year three. got to have somebody in year three. Oh, this guy's decent, but that's about it. Oh, my, we're in, we're in trouble. It's, it's a build-up. It's a snowball effect over years and years and years. This is Brian Gutekunst's second year. He hasn't even begun to start the snowball. I mean, it's, it's halfway built. It's already a good team, but if we add good drafting onto that, especially going into his third year, if we start to get Savage and Rashawn and all these guys start to hit, that's when it really starts to take off. And you start wondering, why are we planning on Jordan Love? Because by the time this even, we even get settled in, Aaron Rodgers has got one year left. Maybe he's a guy, maybe he's not, but that's, that's the point of the draft. It's not who's going to help us week one against the Vikings. That's ridiculous. Come on now. Big picture. Your job as a GM to be big picture. And I understand our job as fans is to be small picture, right? Immediate, what's right in front of me. My only concern is Tampa Bay. Maybe a little bit about the Super Bowl. But we, we, we got to keep that in our own realm. We can't take our fandom nonsense and start lay, smacking the GM with it as though he's supposed to be a fan. I don't want a GM that's a fan. I don't want a GM that's going to crush the future to make sure that we beat Tampa Bay. I want a GM to be big picture, to be focused on 2020, 2021, 2022, 2023. The health and wellness of the team throughout. That's his job. And I tend to think he's doing a good job. Anyways, uh, I'm going to leave it at that. You folks have yourselves a fantastic Wednesday. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye. first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on that's nice at caskers.com we make this experience easy caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code welcome 10 for ten dollars off your first purchase get ten dollars off your first purchase with code welcome 10 at caskers.com